Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford. And I'm your other host, Matthew Rodriguez. And we have today with us our producer, our <laughs> new producer, my new Our season premiere queen. Season, season premiere queen is Adam Sass. Hi, back from back from back the from. season two premiere episode. <laughs> yes. Um, this is our first also, episode via not in person well yeah, it's our second we won't going. say we won't say we won't say what technology we're using to do this because we don't want to give free promo <laughs> oh, yeah hey us <laughs> very nice we can um, be brought to you by these sort of things later on yeah this is later. what i'm working on as my new producer am i um, am i allowed as right a pretty, new yeah. am i allowed to tell everyone that it's our second go at this matthew <laughs> no oh well you just did oh my gosh and also the other thing is i'm feeling very useless because for those of us at home the only thing i bring to the table in this podcast is that i play the theme song and now ian (laughs) plays the theme song and honestly i just like feel useless you're the pretty face of the podcast well Well, he was in la with me not with me but i we are both now in la yeah, um, yeah, so this you is the first podcast where no one's in New York, also. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. No one's there. Ian is, in, is coming to us from New Jersey, the state of Teresa Giudice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure is. And, uh, you know, and this is like a perfect episode for us being so dislocated because we are talking about an episode where Buffy herself is dislocated. Oh. Well, we're talking and we're talking about two episodes today. Oh, right, we are. Oh my gosh. Yeah, the begin well, I mean, she's pretty dislocated. Yeah. Run up at season. So th- season 3 is all about her just completely getting normal again. Well, oh my gosh. We so, you know, as the as the listeners at home now know, we had a first attempt at an episode uh yesterday that didn't go as well technology wise and we have to redo this and and now of course it's better because adam is a part of it but um we were talking a lot about season three and everything that buffy goes through and how these two episodes try to set up because joss is actually doing a lot of setting up for what's going to happen to buffy um in these episodes so let's Let's start right at the beginning. I mean, this season opens, as all seasons do, um, in the graveyard. But instead of Buffy fighting, we see Willow fighting because Buffy is gone. And there's the little cute part. There's a little funny part where, like, the vamp is getting away and Oz tries to throw the baseball bat at him and kill him. And it does not work. It's wonderful comedy. And and it gives... It's it's sort of like the dawn of... um, uh, Allison Hannigan's perfect, like, Willow worried face that she does. Like, oh, that, yeah. Like, she's just that perfect, like, it's, it's like, legit, it's, it's, it's real, but it's also, like, permanently comical. That you know immediately, like, oh, God, this is just not going well. And her, like, come and get it, big boy. Her trying to be, like, the badass, but, like, not oh, quite getting sure. there. <laughs> which, which, which will be another Willow thing throughout yeah. season three. Well, Willow, I mean, we're obviously going to talk about this a lot, but, like, season three is, like, the beginning of what I would call the Willow takeover of the show, because eventually the show just becomes about Willow. Like, Buffy, if you think about it, Buffy doesn't really go through as much in later seasons. I mean, I guess she dies and comes back and deals with that, so I'm wrong, but, like, (laughs) 
I don't know. I I really feel like the show shifts to having from having Willow be supporting to almost like a co-lead with Sarah Michelle at one point. And this is the beginning of that because like we see Willow kind of leading the Scoobies while Buffy is gone. And this whole season we'll see Willow and Willow stepping up in ways that like she did not in seasons one and two. Yeah. Willow definitely becomes the Roxy heart of uh, Buffy as, as time goes on. This is definitely like she is feeling the need for, spotlight and you know her whole like series arc is basically just what she is willing to do to overcompensate for kind of a painfully nerdy sheltered um uh and i guess we eventually find out closeted uh life wait uh, so i you couldn't see me but i had my hand raised is roxy hart a chicago (laughs) reference (laughs) yes it is yes roxy hart kind of butts in on (laughs) bell mckelly's uh action there i assumed i could drop a musical reference in here. <laughs> oh my god well, i did not know this you know i'm bad with a musical it was literally i mean it was like if you i mean me and i know for a fact you were around in 2002 uh weren't you like in college we were both in college <laughs> we were you said that like it was a movie, joke and it wasn't a joke <laughs> this movie hit the shit. like this movie was like you couldn't escape that movie if you were at all at a liberal arts college, which you were, so. I actually did see the play Chicago in Philly with my parents, with the dad from Growing Pains as the lawyer. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, we're just going to skip past that sentence, because I can't with any part of it. <laughs> Honestly, all of it is so irrelevant. I just I can't even deal with how, with the depth of the irrelevance of that statement. This is... This is what happened when we started veering away from Buffy as Willow has tried to get us to do. Listen, that's so, as much musical theater as I contribute. All right, continue. Keep veering back, Matthew. Okay, good. Uh, so, veering back, we're going to talk about um, Anne. And, well, you know, one of the things we did yesterday when we did a mucked up version of this, Adam, was mm. there's not as much to discuss in Anne, but we do want to, you know, hit on some main points to kind of get to Dead Man's Party. Um but yeah. there are some really interesting things going on in this episode. And also, I think I should announce to everyone that little nine-year-old Matthew, who was watching Buffy when it was airing on TV, this was my very first episode of Buffy. Like, my That's mom... precious. Right. Like, my mom was like, oh, I've read that this show is really good. Like, let's watch it. Mind you, I am nine. And so... <laughs> um, he so like yeah i just like sat and watched it and like i did not know anything about her killing angel like think about all the things that i missed like so <laughs> i'm sitting down and like Anne is my first episode this is i mean it's like a bottle episode where you it's like the rare bottle episode where you like need to know everything that came before him right it's so, when they start becoming serialized right exactly so um okay i i really like i actually really like Anne as a bottle episode I will say that. And I um, I think that it has a lot going for it. I think that for everything that Buffy's going to do in season three, we need this episode that's about, like, showing you that she actually is a grown-up because she's still in high school, but, like, we yeah. need to know for the fights that are coming that Buffy is, like, completely self-sufficient and capable. And Anne is really all about that. And one of the things, one of the plot lines that I love in Anne that, to me, really shows it the most is when she... Um, kind of discovers that Ricky is missing or like when, you know, Lily comes to her and says that Ricky is missing, 
she kind of goes on her own little detective quest and she goes to the um the you know the blood donation place and finds those folders and confronts that nurse and i think we were talking about this you know that like sarah michelle has some 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 great acting at that moment Mm. But I also think for the series, it's really good because we're seeing how resourceful. I love episodes that don't talk down to Buffy or like treat her like yeah. a dumb blonde girl. And like, this is like, oh no, she can conduct a whole investigation on her own. And she's very smart. For sure. This is like making good on the promise kind of laid down at the end of Becoming, where Angel really tries to get under her skin and say like, well, okay, well, if I took away your friends and your weapons and all your resources, what you have, you know, and she says me, and it's this wonderful, beautiful tear jerking moment. And then, and then Anne is, is the result. I mean, it's, 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 it's rocky for her, of course, but this is like, you know, as far as like first steps go, like this is definitely like testing the waters for like, okay, where could this show, I mean, this whole show is senior year. Where is she going to go after this? Can she, you know, survive outside of the library and everything. That's true. I hadn't even, I hadn't thought about that aspect. Um, but it totally does like make, like make good on that. Like that she, yes. And also I do think season three does a lot of that where, and it also almost sets up for her like loner bullshit arc in, which is like touched upon in season five as well, but also in season seven, like she always feels she has to do it on her own Mm -hmm. blah blah. i mean it's i mean to be honest they go to that well constantly (laughs) true yeah this is like this is it is pretty like a new deal here now and um especially like since you know especially since they go to los angeles for for angel a year from now like you know in the in the college stuff is coming this feels like they're really testing the waters out for like okay can we can we exist outside of sunnydale and all of that and still have Buffy. And the answer is yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, so that plot is really interesting. Um, also, Oh, I want to, I want to talk about Sarah Michelle Gellar's iconic, um, pigtail Luke L E W K. Oh my gosh, it's so iconic. Like, and also what's iconic is the two-tone in her hair for season three. Yeah. Um, oh my god, so yes. Tone pigtails. I, I've already told Matthew this because this is our second go, but I try. I wanted so badly to have, like, a Buffy figure with pigtails for the cover of this podcast. But, like, that was impossible, and I don't know how to make that. And I also even tried to, like, paint the hair to make it, like, two-tone, but I could not do that either. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm as long as there's that like really iconic like axe she has at the end of <laughs> this episode that also makes it into like pretty much every single credit scene forever. Wait, um, Matthew, ask ask me what the good. name of it is. Oh my god! Wait, I almost remember the name of it. It's like Unga Munga or something. Oh, does it have a name? Hunga Munga. Yeah. Oh my god! I was right. It is. I was <laughs> so close. I said Unga instead yeah. of Hunga. I know you did so good. Yeah. Uh, my thunder, Matthew. (laughs) Oh my, my, you were still able to come in and be right. Jeez. (laughs) These names for these weapons. I would, I would, this is how I know I would belong um, in the background of a Buffy episode because I would (laughs) never get these names right, but I would always do like a a sound alike like they always do where she ends up calling like the statue Al Franken or whatever. (laughs) I would be like, you know, I like the cowabunga thing, the (laughs) Vax. Um, well, 
the funny thing is, as some people who listen to the podcast know, I often bring up the DVD features of Buffy. And on the season three, I'm pretty sure it's the season three DVD, there is a featurette about the weapons of Buffy. And they, the guy who picked the weapon talks about the Hungamunga, and I just forget the name. But, um, like, you know, they were talking about talk, the weapons and, like, why they don't use guns and, like, crossbows and all that. And, like, he found the Hungamunga, like, in some weapon, like, you know, like, I guess you know, he's a person who gets weapons for shows. So I'm sure like Mm. the people who buy weapons for game of Thrones, there's like some TV weapons place where they go. And they were, they're like specifically looking for weapons that looked really old, um, to fit the aesthetic of the show. And he found the hunger manga. It was like, Oh, this is something that we should use for this episode, especially since like, you know, we can talk about the major plot. I guess we actually really haven't got to that, but like the plot really is that like Buffy, in this little bottle episode is in LA and she finds, let's say a cult of demons who is snatching up homeless youths and um, using them for exploitative slave labor. And also the dimension they're in the time is at a different pace. And so they grow super old Mm. really fast in the, in, in our world, but in the, in the world down there, it's like 80 years or like, or like a few seconds or something, a few days. Yeah, so exactly. well, it's I have a comment about that. the experience of hell. Go ahead. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to say, isn't it weird that like they make such a big deal about how fast they age and Ricky wasn't really gone that long? Shouldn't they have aged for like the 10 minutes they were there? Oh, for sure. Well, no, or, they wouldn't no, have aged because they were only there. You, no, so they, what happened is they still Ricky experienced 80 years down there and it was a day up there. So if Buffy was down there for a few hours, let's say she was only gone in the real world for like 10 seconds. Gotcha. Wait, no, it's not that it's not, no, it's not that time speeds up and that you age faster. It's literally that Ricky was down there for 80 years and it was a day up here. So it wasn't that they were aging faster. It was uh, that they were literally living through that many years. That's why right. he says, oh, he remembered your la- your name long after um, he f- had forgotten his own. Uh, because he was actually be- conditioned for decades to like forget his name. But he wouldn't forget Lily's. So it's not just that they sped up the aging process. That's why like Buffy says, like, how do you make them old? How do you speed up the aging process? It's actually that they're in a place where time is different. So when Ricky was gone, he was really gone for 80 years there. Okay. So it's kind of the opposite of what I was thinking. Like, right. So when they were there for a few hours, it really means when they got back to the real world, they had only been gone for like a millisecond. Okay. Right. Right. Okay. Right. Um, But the interesting thing though, that you want to think about it, what I always think about is that when Ken is up on the surface, trying to find people to bring back, he actually misses years and years of what's happening back at his office. Oh, right. So like when, so when he goes to go find people, he has to be like, yo, I'm going on like a five year expedition to go get (laughs) some more homeless people. Like see you in five years. Right. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like they get, they have to like, they've had like a whole experience without Ken. I haven't even thought of that. Yeah. Mm. Um, also, the, 
the fight scene at the end is iconic. Oh, um, I mean, it I like was, literally makes it into every... Right, but the best part about it, too, is that, like, I really feel like they could have defeated Buffy if they had not attacked her one at a time politely. <laughs> like, they're, like, they're very, like, oh, we will just go up against you one-on-one, and we'll just see what happens. It was very Austin Powers. It was, you know, you just give one, okay, well, okay, well, now we're done with you, okay, now one, one. Okay, well, that didn't work, now one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's funny about the time thing. I mean, did they bring this up in the episode? I can't, I can't really recall right now. But this really sets up, I mean, for when she does run into Angel again and Angel has been in hell and he has experience and it's been, you know, whatever bunch of days for him. But like, you know, it's again the same situation for Angel where they said, oh, no, he's actually experienced years and years and years and years of torment down there. Hmm. I mean, is that that thing? Did that happen? Yeah. I I Um, I don't know if they like address that. I thought that's because that's why he's like acting like a crazy animal yeah. like when he's back. I well, know I've always I've always thought that. I, well, the one thing is we'll get to this when we talk about Beauty and the Beast and other stuff. Is that I always thought that like for being you know tortured for years and years that he actually recovers very quickly and it's like a very I, convenient right. thing. Like by the end of one episode, he's out there just like helping Buffy and saving her. Right. And like having full on co- cogent conversations. Yeah, I mean, and he doesn't have much PTSD from that experience. It's it's pretty over and done with in like a few episodes. He, he's like back to his normal sort of troubled soul existence after and that. And it's like a thing that right. he mentions maybe in passing, like, oh yeah, when I was in hell. God, but, I'd be such I a nightmare. Believe... I bring that up all the time. <laughs> I know, like, but I believe, like, I, I, I. I might be wrong. Long story short, I think Giles brings up, you know, Buffy. He, he, you know, he's been through like years of torment to him. I think that is a line that like comes up, and then I think it is like I think it she is. does like this. Anne experience like really helps underline that for her later on, and helps her understand a lot of what he's going through. Okay, so we need we need to talk about the most important, um, one of the most important lines in Buffy history, and it's at the end of the episode where. Um, Ken is impaled through his legs by the gate, which I know Ian thinks is too gory for it, him. It grosses me out. But I don't know. Nine-year-old Matthew was into it. Um, <laughs> he was failing himself. Watching. Don't skip. Don't skip legs. Leg day, boys and girls. Um, <laughs> but yeah. So then she like looks at him and she, what does she? She says. Um, Hey Ken, do you want to see my impression of Gandhi? And then hits him and impales him with a bat. Oh god! And Lily comes over and she's like, <laughs> she's like Gandhi, and he's like, yeah, you know. She's like, yeah, you know, if Gandhi was really pissed off. <laughs> um, well, <laughs> it's just best. that type of like Whedon dialogue that it's literally barely it. works. I. It, 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 it's I the agree reason with Adam. why we have so much shitty dialogue in X-Men is because like, it's all we do oh person like what he was talking about. Oh my gosh. Did I just <laughs> say what you were just <laughs> Yes. Adam, literally this is what Ian said to me yesterday. <laughs> Ian, say what you said. I said, it reminds me of Storm's line with like, what happens to a toad when it's struck by lightning? The same thing that happens oh. to everything else. Like it's, oh, I think it's that line. I think that the lines would be great if they were switched, and if um, 
what is it, if Storm said, do you know what happens to Gandhi when he's struck by lightning? <laughs> like, I th- or, or like, yeah. And like, that, like, I think Joss was just like, you know, like is toying with his, I imagine him and he's writing all these dumb lines and puns <laughs> and he's like just interchanging them. Like he probably had, like he probably had Buffy at one point say like, hey, do you know what happens to a demon when he's hit by a bat? And he's like, what? And she's like, the same thing that happens to everything else. Oh, totally. See, that would have absolutely worked in Buffy. And again, Storm <laughs> could have basically said the Gandhi line as for as much sense as it made to like the <laughs> millions of people who watched that movie. I also, I just feel like Halle Berry had a lot of things working against her. I don't know that any of those lines would have worked for her in that movie. She <laughs> was up, a cr- like that whole cast, production, director, everybody, the whole thing was, uh, the whole movie was up a creek Halle Berry, most of all, like yes. it, it was they, they, the fact that it even just rolled into the station the way in, in the condition that it did is a miracle. Can we talk about really quickly? This has nothing to do with Buffy at all, but I think we really need to talk about quickly that Holly Berry decided to retcon this week and say that like throughout production, she was acting her character in the movie in X-Men, she was acting Storm as if her and Wolverine had been in a relationship. What? Like a secret <laughs> relationship. Did you see this? No. Oh my gosh, yeah. She, I mean, ob- there are comic book iterations mm-hmm. where Wolverine and Storm do get together. Sure, yeah. So, like, that's fair. But, like, she said this week that, like, they had conversations behind the scenes about whether, like, you know, because, like, it was, it was, like, the love triangle was... Jean Grey and Cyclops and Wolverine. But apparently her and like, I don't know if she said that her and Hugh Jackman talked or if it was just her, but she was like, yes, like Wolverine and Storm were in love or had a thing also. But like, we just acted like it was like simmering under the surface. And I was like, can you not, Holly? (laughs) I I said in a tweet, I was like, she's totally trying to be like JK Rowling. Like every week is going to say like, oh yes. Oh, right. Yeah. Actually, this was like, this was the thing. Like actually I was Rogue's biggest mentor throughout the whole. (laughs) Right. Like actually. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Why is she even, Um, why is she even trying to retcon that movie? Like what? (laughs) Because she's on the press junket for kidnap, and she's like nothing to talk about. <laughs> right? She's like actually Gothica. What? <laughs> no, no, I saw it. I saw it. I saw that. I saw Gothica too. in theaters. I did. I did too. Oh, we all did. Look, <laughs> we gave that movie our money. Isn't well, Robert Downey Jr. in that mom as well? Movie money. Well, your mom is money. Anyway. <laughs> I'm. I'm sure all of our moms are very glad that. Halle Berry has 30 of our dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So let's move on to Dead Man's Party. So, but wait, I do want to. So, wait, before no, we do, okay, bye, bye. I wanted to point out um, that I really like Annoyed Buffy. And it reminds me of everything I love about Jessica Jones. Um, and she mm. does Annoyed Buffy so well in this episode. Like, she doesn't really want to help Lily. Also, I think Lily has a really good arc over the cross of Angel, um, and I like that she sticks with the name Anne. Um, and her episode in Angel is actually not unlike Dead Man's Party, but well, her first or second episode. Um, but um, I think when Buffy's in that office and the woman is like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "Going through your private files, breaking your office. I'm calling the police," and just rips the phone off the like wall. For me, 
that's like such good buffy it's perfect um and then like later when he's like who are you what are you and they're like nothing and they're all scared and he says to buffy who are you and she's like i'm buffy the vampire slayer and you are and i just that's everything i love about buffy for me is like still being a total shit even like in this miserable hell dimension where these people are like being enslaved and she's still like no fuck you like it i mean this episode was like enough of a tonal departure that i think like they knew they really needed her to like kind of get back a little bit to that like yeah. kind of core part of the personality because like otherwise this really would have turned into like if buffy had been done in like the tv age of the anti-hero like there would have been at least an episode or two of this and business where she was not herself yet yeah um, oh my gosh well so interesting because we were talking about we i mean we often talk about on the show like what if buffy were made on hbo now and it was like 10 hour long episodes you know with no <laughs> commercials and like you know if they had to fit a whole season's worth of stuff into um one season and Ian and I actually, and, but I think you are right in some ways, but um, I think that it really be, it would be really hard to fit season three into one HBO 10, or 10 episode season because actually I don't think there Fair. are a lot of, there are, there are not a lot of wasted episodes in season three. They really pack everything to the gills. Yeah. With... You could do all the post high school seasons as season, as like Game of Thrones seasons basically. If yeah. You to. Like, if you wanted to, I mean, you cut out a lot of really nice, probably nuance, right. Anya totally. stuff, goofy crap. I mean, crap, you could, but, I think you could also yeah. get season two down to, like... Oh, yeah. I think so. Yeah, well, because so much of that season, is... I think season three would need two seasons um, to, like, cover everything. Mm. Um, but, I mean, we could also be you know, talking shit because apparently didn't they get like two of the Game of Thrones books into one season? Didn't they, that ab- they absolutely did. <laughs> and those books are like 4,000 pages. Yeah. So they got like 4,000 pages into like 10 hours. Anyway. Because they kind of just like junked everything. I mean, like, I mean, it would kind of like, honestly, like probably like a modern day Buffy would kind of be done a little bit kind of like how they do Teen Wolf where they'd be like, okay, well this is season three, part one. And this is, season three part two or season three B oh, or something that. like that. Oh, you mean how they I did am, I am season a six part one and two of that. Sex in the City? Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, well, they snapped it in half. Um, um, yeah. But anyway, so we were talking about this. So actually, we felt like Anne and Dead Man's Party would probably be one episode. And if anything, they might show like scenes of Buffy in LA and then but they would bring her back because actually, if you really think about I think the one thing that Ian and I were getting to is that there's not enough in each episode to keep it as a whole episode to me. I right. actually would think that, like, they flow very naturally into each other, just like Buffy's gone, but they kind of get her back in the action, back to Sunnydale really yeah. quickly. Yeah. And then, and then um, I mean, when you really add together the two 40-minute episodes, it's already only an hour and 20 minutes. So they would have to just shave. 20 minutes off of it to make it into one HBO episode. I, I mean, I mean like eight, I mean like game of Thrones and walking dead kind of do that where they're like, well, our premiere is 75 minutes long. Like they do this kind of like, a exactly. little, like they do a bigger thing, you know, they might do like the first half is just the and stuff. And then they go and show you what's going on. With I the think, Scooby gang. I think with the way you guys are breaking it down, I think that almost if they did season three, 
in a, a season like that, they would have to wait to put faith in season four. That's like, ludicrous. Well, because I don't know. Well, that... you could you couldn't even do the mayor stuff. Like the faith is so it, yeah. It, like it becomes so important to the mayor. I mean, it's, and season three is very. Season three yeah. is just chock full, and, and it's funny, you know, our listeners will probably kind of get a preview of where this season of Slayer Fest 98 is going, because a, a lot of episodes are going to have their own episode, as opposed to season two, where really we're able to pack two and sometimes three episodes yeah. into one. A lot of these episodes really deserve their own discussion, because there's there's so many emotional interconnections happening. There's like, and there, There's so many things running in each episode. And that emotional richness that we're talking about actually does happen in Dead Man's Party because Dead Man's Party, um, I would describe it as like the Real Housewives of Sunnydale because um, (laughs) they all kind of get into this argument at a party, even though it's the most inappropriate place for them to get in an argument. (laughs) For her mother to confront her. Well, mother, like, like, all these people would never, like, usually, like, call anyone out much less their best friend in front of anybody much less the person who saves their lives on a daily basis (laughs) i i mean like here's the thing like we're getting into it now like you can clearly tell that dead man's party probably wins like for most frustrating scene in a in an episode (laughs) ever i can't really think of a more like frustrating one the only only any the equivalent scene would be them kicking her out of the house in season seven which also made me scream the first time i watched it (laughs) That's that's more frustrating because I don't feel like they earn that. Like this, especially because this comes straight off of she saved everyone. She sacrificed this huge thing. She's super young. She has not gone through any of this yet, and everyone has a complete load of nerve talking this way. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny. Um, I really don't want to get into the season seven thing right now, but the thing that bothered me about that was that they acted like. Every, I mean, basically what happened was they kind of went through this, like, socialist uprising where they decided that everyone's vote was equal. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's democracy. But whatever. You know what I mean? Like, they're basically like, we're tired of you having, you know, it was almost like a fiefdom. Like, we're tired of you, Buffy, having a, a stronger vote than everyone else. And they physically do vote. And they're like, everyone's vote is equal. But it's like, Mona's vote should not be equal to fucking Buffy's. Like... Who the fuck is Mona? I mean, that's the thing. Like, the, here's the thing. Like, that season seven thing was pretty much the Bernie bro moment of the thing, <laughs> where it was like, where where it was just kind of like, well, I don't like this little way you did this little thing, so you need to like completely go. Even though you saved our yeah, lives, who's clearly best to lead us and save us from the apocalypse? Like, it, and it was just like they threw her out, like they didn't need her. And also, and I, it is not a democracy. I was like, We're all gonna die. In 1630 Ravello Drive when it is her fucking house. <laughs> yeah. Like, so so back to this fight. The yes. thing about this fight... Um, so, I mean, Dead Man's Party is obviously a long episode. And there's a lot to get to. But the emotional core of it is, all deep, is yeah. this fight that happens where... Um, and I do love the line that starts the fight where um, Joyce is talking to Buffy. And she's like, you put me through the ringer, Buffy. And I've had schnapps. <laughs> and she's like... <laughs> like <laughs> Drunk Joyce is very good, except when she throws Buffy out of the house. But, um, (laughs) so, yeah, so she starts this fight. And then one of the things that um, I was saying to Ian was that I've always felt like, as opposed to a very well-crafted Real Housewives episode, it actually felt like 
there weren't enough people on Buffy's side. Like the 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 deck was too stacked against her. Like yeah. And I actually feel like that's a fault of the writing. Like there should have been someone who stood up for Buffy more besides herself because one, she was overwhelmed in that moment and and you see in in Simon Schagler's acting she doesn't actually do a good job defending herself and it's because she's feeling overwhelmed yeah. by the party and everything now having to defend the fact that she's overwhelmed. And then you have her mother who threw her out and then you have Xander who is, who is an MRA and useless. and useless, like defending his mom and all this stuff. And then Cordy tries, but she's not really effective and she makes it worse. And then Willow tries to start in and Buffy actually like shuts that down. It's just like, please don't. And then the only neutral person kind of is Oz. And it just feels like so stacked against her. It feels like she should have had someone on in her corner. Well, here's a theory. Like I know at this current moment in the story, Giles is like racing to warn everybody about the zombie mask. Yeah. Um, would were Giles to have been there, would would he have been like everybody better zip it? I think. Or so. would he have done his like Stony Giles? Mm, you heard us, Buffy, like thing. I well, think he would have. Speaking of season, I, I think ahead, he, I think he would have stood up for her. I don't think he would have gone against Joyce, but I think he would have maybe tried to calm it down. Yeah, I think yeah, I think he would have had to work. I think he would have had to speak to Xander. I think he would have snipped at Xander and been like, "You are being arrogant, like, or you're being like yeah. stupid. To shut up!" Because mm-hmm. he doesn't want to go against Joyce because in the previous episode, Joyce just told, "Oh my God, we didn't discuss that, Ian." Oh, we forgot. Damn it! When, oh my God, Joyce. So you know what we're talking about Adam when Joyce tells Giles that she blames him for Buffy leaving. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so oh, frustrating it's a because. Mur- moment yeah it's a murderous moment but it's also like it's like okay we i think it's one of those things where i think we really want to stand for joyce but she does such terrible things like kicking out buffy but like we really want to be like yes joyce but also like why is she blaming giles it is clearly her fault like giles did not tell her to leave her house well i mean she's i mean I'm not sure if, I mean, whether this is the writing or not. Like, I mean, she's doing the, like, she's doing the phobic mother thing, which is, like, I have a major problem, and I'm really terrible at, like, accepting any blame because I'm already guilty enough, and I'm really worried, and da-da-da. So blaming this guy seems harmless enough. Like, that's <laughs> kind of how I read it, where it was, like... Because, I mean, like, I mean, please, after the year we've all had to go through... You can see, like, people who are shouldering a shitload of blame, the last thing they do is go, well, you're right, this is on me. That's um, true. They'll just find some nearby person who is just like, oh, you're the teacher. Why didn't you step in and do the parent thing for for me? That's true. Yeah, I mean, but it still well, pisses me off just because, like... Oh, it's terrible. It's so, one, unfair, and, like, also Giles just, like, takes it. Giles is like, okay. Yeah. He doesn't really, there's no, I mean, I guess it's, maybe he feels like it's not his place to fight back against Buffy's parent, but it's really interesting because, I mean, like, I think that this is just coming out of a place of hurt. Like, Joyce 
I mean, in all of her scenes in season two, we see Joyce trying to make a connection with Buffy, and she's always saying like, "Why don't we have? More, why don't you have more responsibility? Like, why don't you tell me things? Yeah. You don't let me in." And she really does want to be let into Buffy's life. And then it's kind of like I think we've all had that moment. Hasn't your mother or your parent ever been like, "You tell everything else. You tell everything to other people except for me." Like you say, you talk to your yeah. friends, and then like imagine as a parent. You have your child confiding in someone who is a fully grown adult who's not you. Like, yeah, that, yeah. I'm sure, is... Who also did not at any point take the to Joyce. Like, you know, at, at any point during, like, the two years, you know, they'd known each other. He, like, knew she was going into harm's way and, like, never said anything. I mean, I understand. She's acting out of hurt. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, and everybody it's, is it's very, It's very hurt people hurt people, and she was yeah. just, like... I'm sure that, except for maybe her, who, her um, girlfriend Pat, who I'm convinced they had a lesbian experience over the summer. <laughs> oh, like, for sure. Like, well, there was a lot like, of confiding, a lot of comforting. Right. Like for sure, it was like, oh, my daughter's gone. Like I've never done the woman thing. Let me try it with Pat. Right. I had a whole <laughs> moment. Um. So, um. So in a way, Pat is the first. Also, also, I want to loop back to Pat. <laughs> we, well, yeah, in a world where Joss Whedon loves to kill women and call and kill queer people, Pat is the first queer dev on like. <laughs> <the> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I I just think that Joyce is doing like hurt people hurt people, and it's really fucked up. And as someone who identifies with Giles lots of times, I would say probably he did not, like, talk back because, like, the last thing I would do, like, I would never, you could, I'm, 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 I'm very, I'm very opinionated on this show, but I am, like, in real life, if somebody was, like, telling me, like, well, I blame you for this, I would, it would take a lot to get me to, like, snap back at them. <laughs> I would probably just be like, well, you know, you're right, and then I'd go text Ian or whatever, and I'd all caps, be like, I can't believe what Joyce told me. <laughs> <laughs> so back to this fight um one of the things i do love though and i think is a really poignant moment is that like i mean obviously willow says like oh we might as well try violence and the zombies come you see how quickly they all just like put it down and get to work right. like she even says like xander go to the kitchen and she like throws him a weapon and they all just go into like um, yeah. It's like clockwork. Like they go into this cooperative mode where they know that like they have to man their posts and like defeat the evil. And it is, I think that like that plot point was necessary because the fighting helped them to see that like they are a well-oiled machine and that yeah. like they can kind of get past this fight because they help save each other's lives and other people's lives. Yeah. Except a lot of people died at that party and. <laughs> Um, it's so graphic. Like the zombie walks in and snaps someone's neck in the, it's middle a- of the living room, and then like, um, and then later, actually, it's in Homecoming. Buffy is talking about running running for Homecoming Queen and all the votes she can get, and she's like, "Well, there were so many people at my you know coming home party," and Willow just like very matter of fact, like Buffy, they all died. And it's like. <laughs> <laughs> there was literally a massacre in Buffy's home, and they never deal with the fact that, like, they are all living with this immense trauma, that, like, there was a mass death. Like, did they build a mass grave afterwards? Like, there was, like, how many people did they have to bury from this one oh, party? Absolutely. There should be, like, 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 
wreaths and like <laughs> right. mystery cards outside of their home. Instead yeah. of outside to like <laughs> memorate it, it, the great. It really massacre. feels. Oh no! It really feels like it's one of the bigger body count episodes for the high school years. Because like so it's many the people. The idea that it happened in a home, like it, it, yeah. it was like a thing. Like if, if this was like, oh, we all went to the bronze, and I can't believe people died. Like I mean, the bronze is like a good place where it's like, oh my god, if you're going there, yeah, you know that's very risky. Um, but going to Buffy's home, I guess that is it. It's very strange that it took place in the home and that um, it was such a slaughter. Yeah. Um, also, what did I want to point out? Um, of course, I already forgot. <laughs> um, what do we think? I mean, so they all come together. So a new thing that I decided that we should be asking, what do you think Dawn was doing in these episodes? Oh, my gosh. That's our new... Yeah, so, it, so for those of us who are those listeners who are not familiar with our new segment, our new <laughs> segment is What Would Dawn Do? And what would Dawn this be is the segment where we go... <laughs> What would Dawn be doing? And it's um, in the retcon world or in the world where Dawn is alive. And if she were part of this series at this point as Buffy's younger sister, what would be happening? <laughs> well, um, well, so she would be like, the way they treat her like such a kid in like season five, this makes me think like she would be like super, super like a child. Yeah. Um, even th- so this is like, this is, Two years post Harriet the Spy, so yes, pretty childish. Um, I would say, I would almost say like they knew this was going to be maybe like an adult party, so they maybe like had like a sitter or like she would go over to somebody's house. I'd like to think is the safe version, um, but <laughs> most likely like she was upstairs, was being super pissy about having to be upstairs, snuck down at a certain point. But that point was probably when the guy's neck was being snapped and she was super traumatized, <laughs> freaked out about it, and they had to deal with her. Well, I want to, before I get to the Dawn thing, I want to get back to this point that you made about the party. One of the things that actually pisses me off the most about this episode is where they just decide to throw a party at Buffy's house, and no one says anything, and then Joyce just goes along with it. Like, my mom would be like, no, like, everyone get the fuck out of my house. Like, you're not having a live band in my living room <laughs> like everyone is just so okay with the fact that xander decided to throw a party in buffy's home like absolutely not and i just want to say that i think okay dawn would be young and would be a brat but i still think that maybe she would have this unbridled enthusiasm for having her big sister back and she might be working because one of the things that we were talking that i was saying that was lacking was like an emotional like yay buffy's back like buffy's back and joyce is happy and relieved and then her friends are kind of like whatever blah 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 but i think that dawn as a younger sister actually would have been that like she doesn't understand the complexity of it and her reaction is just like yay my sister is home my mom is happy so I think that might have been interesting to just see, like, the enthusiasm of a child, like, welcoming their sister. Yeah. Ooh, you know, she might have been she might have been the missing person who would have stood up for her and been like, hey, everybody, please stop. Stop it. She's going to run away again. I think, or she would have... Oh, I think ahead. she would have loved it when Buffy was gone because she would have gotten all the attention, but I think she would have been happy when Buffy came back. 
Yeah, well, I think because she wouldn't be in the teen years where she's, like, need all the attention. Like, she can still see herself and her sister as separate entities getting enough mm-hmm. attention, maybe. Yeah. Um, I think that when the zombies showed up, she would have told them to get out, get out, get out, get out. Get get out. out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Matthew, I was, like, waiting to get to her. that joke, yeah. too. I was going to do the same exact thing. <laughs> that's actually the answer to every episode when we're like what would dawn be doing the answer would just be like well she would have been telling reptile boy to get out out." (laughs) (laughs) that's just what she does like if dawn were at graduation day because like your older sister is graduating actually i want to say something when we get to graduation day um it's very weird that it's only students that are there and no parents are present. <laughs> well, they, isn't there like that one tiny crowd? I'm just saying that it's graduation and Buffy's mom should be there and she's not. She doesn't kill a vampire and we need Joyce to kill a vampire. Well, she like bribed her to get out of town, right? She was like, yeah. just hit the road. Yeah, she does. I mean, I would have liked to see Joyce do a Cordelia and be able to slay like one vampire. Yeah, um, Season yeah. was definitely like they utilized Joyce really well, but like the yeah the graduation day was when they started to be like we don't know what to do with Joyce. Yeah. They started acting like they didn't know how to write. For also her. in Deadman's so, party, um, Buffy smashes Pat out the same window. She comes jumping through to save Joyce from Faith in season four. <laughs> so speaking Ooh. of graduation day, one of the things that we talked about at the beginning was that. Joyce, I mean that um, this uh, this these episodes really up some stuff that's going to be happening all season. So I was wondering if each of you would like to point out one thing that you think, because I think especially on Buffy, Joss has been very good about like having the beginning and the end of a season kind of talk to each other and have them go through an arc. So what do you think mm-hmm. these episodes are trying to set up? I definitely think. Um, uh, especially I mean, if we're talking about Anna Deadman's party as like a whole, it's like, we'll just bring Buffy back into the fold. I think what they're definitely doing is um, they're, they're, they're setting up graduation day. They're, they're setting up, they're stress testing the group for weak links and um, what can Buffy do on her own? And they're, they're really testing out the college years in, in these episodes. They're testing out, you know, what's going to happen when, mm-hmm. They don't have the Buffy home. They don't have the library. They don't have their usual stuff. They're all fighting. Their lives are pulling them in different directions. Um, this is where you definitely start to see that Cordelia is super not into this group uh, <laughs> and wants to get out. Um, and and that maybe Joyce Joyce's pain is is, is wrapped up in like, oh, I might be a little more irrelevant than um, than we had kind of led to believe in like season one and most of season two. Um, where Giles, you know, kind of is like, okay, well, how do I protect? I mean, this is all of this is like, okay, where's, where's everyone going? This is the last year before, you know, kind of life really hits these people with both barrels. Mm, Yeah. I never thought about that. I like the emotional complexity of the, um, fight in Dead Man's Party. I think that, um, they actually hasn't had an emotion, a fight as emotional as that one yet in the series, because, there have been a lot of tough ones, especially through season two, but they've mostly had to do with like the tense moments of Xander and Buffy, you know, because Xander still loved Buffy or had, had a thing for her and with Angel being the problem. 
I feel like having Buffy's mom there with her friends brings it to a different emotional place. Um, and I actually think, you know, we talked so much previously. I mean, obviously this is a show about alternative families and having that really poignant like mix of like my mom is here in the middle of this also alternate family that knows the secret about me. And now my family circle and my alternate family circle are like coming together. Um, it's really, it's to gang up on me, but it's really, um, an emotional heft for the show. It's really hard to do hard to do well. And I think they handle it really well. And I also think that it is a sign of the complicated emotional stuff that's going to happen this season. I mean, we're going to see all of the characters go through it. I mean, in season two, it was very all, it was very complicated for Buffy, but really it was like, they were all united in having to fight Angel through season three. Like obviously they're united against the mayor, but in season three, they are all also like really deep into emotions and interpersonal relationships as to like who is friends with whom and who feels betrayed by whom. And, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be much murkier and different than like high school musical. We're all in this together. Yeah. Yeah, I like season two. Definitely. I mean, season two has its mega fans because it has a cleaner um, arc and yeah. it's it's a much more like action adventure. There's emotional heft to it. You know, we're we're dealing with this thing. It's you know, it's it's vampire versus slayer, but they love each other. But now he's evil. Like it's I mean, it's very like classic. Um, this is you know, season three is definitely when they start to get into that like you know, you know, prestige cable sort of mindset where it's like okay, well, everything is thorny and there's these loose ends that are never really tied up because this is real life and they start to introduce a lot of just sort of lingering wounds um in these. Yeah. Um and like I I don't know. I feel like season 3 and I say this not in a bad way, season 3 is more almost soap opera-y, but in like the best possible way, not in like a bad way. Oh yeah, everybody's like everybody dates each other and breaks up with each other and blah, 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 blah. like I can't like it's it's weird when I watch season three again I kind of lose track of like oh my god Cordelia was with Xander and then Willow was with Xander and then they were with Oz and we Anya and like, we meet it's Anya, very like, complicated yeah yeah it's very complicated um um so I think it's time for us to rate the episode grade the episodes rather on a scale of A to F what do you so and we're grading them separately so Adam we'll start with you. What grade would you give to Anne, and what grade would you give to Dead Man's Party? Well, I would give Anne a B um, for like a good job, well done. But like, <laughs> it's 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 not what I'd call fun to watch. Um, it's you know, it, you, you miss the dynamics. A lot of it is pretty. There's a there's a there's a tastelessness to it a little bit. Like with just like oh god, she's in this like kind of bland diner. It's just it's not like the most exciting episode I would say. So I give it a B and then I give, um, I give dead man's party an A minus. Um, and that minus is for how angry it makes me. <laughs> yes. I, that episode makes me angry too. <laughs> um, Matthew, what do you give them? So I would actually give Anne an A minus, And I actually feel like that's because I, I'm a sucker for a bottle episode and I actually like, I feel like Buffy, the writers um, welcome, like they liked this idea of not being in Sunnydale for an episode and they actually felt yeah. like liberated by it. I do agree yeah. that like 
would I watch a whole season of Buffy in Los Angeles? Absolutely not. Like, that would be bad. But I think that the writers actually felt like they had a lot of freedom by bringing Buffy to a different place. And I really liked seeing Sarah Michelle Gellar's acting in the episode. I thought she was stellar throughout. And I actually, like, you know, really liked seeing her do the detective work. Um, the minus in A minus is only for the Sarah McLaughlin montage of, of Los Angeles homelessness. <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> it's very special episode of golden girls where they're like, listening. <laughs> oh my gosh. Brother. Can you slowly... spare time? Yes. yes. Exactly. Yeah. It's getting yeah. <laughs> Yes. Um, and then I would give dead man's party like a BB plus, And that's because I think that it's actually a slog up until the emotional punch of the, confrontation the the fight both verbal and physical yeah you know it's really weird in dead man's party because it does if you think about it the villains don't happen until like all of the plot happens in the last like 15 minutes um well i think what's interesting and we talked about this we actually didn't talk about the zombies at all today but yesterday we talked (laughs) about them quite a bit but um really quickly we can talk about the zombies because i actually and i would love to hear adam's take on this i feel like you know, right before they cut to kind of showing the zombies for the first time, you have Xander saying, like, Buffy, you can't just, like, bury everything. It'll come back up to get you. And as we know, Buffy is a show that operates on metaphors. And I don't love the zombie metaphor. Like, I feel like it's a little too easy. Like, yeah, you know, Xander wrote, I mean, um, like, Joss or someone wrote the line, like, you can't bury it underneath the ground. And they were like, well, I guess zombies are the villain this episode because <laughs> they're buried underneath yeah. the ground. I don't know. By the way, I love your slip of the tongue calling Xander Joss because that's clearly <laughs> what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, it's true. It's true. Oh, my gosh. Listen. Maybe is this? Uh, maybe this is wrong to say because also... Joss loves Eliza Dushku, so is there is a weird is there a weird like f- wish fulfillment thing to having Xander sleep with Eliza Dushku? <laughs> yes, listen, I, I, listen, I mentally like, said yes before you even finished that question. <laughs> you knew what it was. I listen. At least it's not like Tina Belcher rotted friend fiction, which is how I feel about like some other shows, like the Mindy Project, um, um, where mm. they have like the main character is the writer of the show and they just have them date like the hottest people in the world and like the Seinfeld thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Just like Seinfeld where he does that too. And it's like, why are all these model women throwing themselves at Jerry Seinfeld? Like it. Correct. Anyway, I don't think I I graded the episode yet. And she'll be able to date everyone, but okay. I, (laughs) I think I'm, I'm, so I was different when we recorded this episode the first time. I think I'm going to give both episodes a B plus. Okay, we, me and Adam were opposites, and you represent the middle. Yeah, I feel like I'm way more into. Um, I, I I definitely like. It's weird. Like I really respect when when bottle episodes happen. I feel like, but not when it's my gang. Yeah. Um, I feel like shows where I'm really really into like the the same four people in the same locations. I get really like, I get really like super nervous and I'm like, Oh, where's this? This is the magic box is gone. What do we do? I don't like this <laughs> other location we're using right now. Like I, I, I get weirdly like hypervigilant about that. So that's probably, hence my thing. Plus Matthew, I think you have such good memories. And since it was your introduction, 
He's, Don't he's, try to shade me on my own. <laughs> I understand. I, I understand where your aim is coming from. Yeah. Do not come on your first day as a producer <laughs> on my show. Honestly, I feel like this is Amorosa versus Wendy Williams, and you're trying to come on my show and talk shit about me. I'm not going to stand for it. Boys. I'm going to do the innocent thing where I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> I actually forgot it was Wendy Williams that she, Amorosa got into like a fight with on that show. It was also Bethany. Um, it was also so, yeah, I think we're going to say you know, goodbye now. Good start to the season. Yeah, yes. this was a good... Yay! This was a good, like, first two episodes plus, like, I feel like, like a good season three overview. And, like, this uh, season. Buffy. Yeah, Matthew and I are not the best at technology. We're working out the chinks of recording it while I'm in New Jersey and he's in L.A. Eventually, hopefully, we're in the same city again at some point. It's really yeah. good recording without looking Matthew in his beautiful eyes. Oh, stop. <laughs> yeah. Well, this um, is fantastic. I'm glad we're able to do um, Skype because I was wondering how that was going to go once Matthew moved. Oh, my gosh. We said we weren't going to call it the name of the technology, Adam. <laughs> Did I say? <laughs> uh, well, now we're not going to get our check. He can bleep out the name. Now <laughs> we're not going to get our check. They <laughs> <laughs> won't hear. I just, uh, I just have um, like Buffy yelling. Anyway, I'm, you, I'm already fired. I'm, I'm done. I, if I, you want to follow, I, I resign as a producer. <laughs> if you want to follow me on Twitter, you can follow me at Matthew Rodriguez. And if you want to follow Adam, I'm at the Adam Sass. And if you want to follow me, I'm at Ian X Carlos. And you can follow our podcast at SlayerFestX98 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, guys. Yay. Bye. Bye. Bye.